We are in John chapter 1. If you have one of these red Bibles, it's page 1063. I don't think there are any Bibles left. No, we are capacity crowd. I didn't think there would be. Give you a minute to turn to John chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 to 18. Hear God's word to you in the book of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So, so much for reading, Sam. Welcome. Um, my name is Johnny Clifton. I'm pastor here at DMF. Not met you. Very good to have you here with us. Let's pray as we come to these words together. Heavenly Father, some of us perhaps have experienced the darkness this week. We've been aware of the oppression of Satan, sin, the world, the darkness in our own hearts. 
And we pray, Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, that the light of Christ would shine so brightly this morning that it would chase away that darkness, chase away the fear, and assure us that if we are in Christ, we are in the light. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Rooted, great that you're here with us. Um, one wee question for you. Uh, simply this. See if you can get to the end of the sermon and think of one thing that you've discovered about Jesus that's new. Something that you hadn't realized before. That's all you need to do. In his uh, last sermon that he, he ever preached, C.S. Lewis uh, warned about the temptation for the Christian to remain in the shallows, to be unwilling to, to let ourselves be overwhelmed by the majesty of God, wanting to feel like we can understand God, be safe with an understanding of God that, that come from our, our own minds. He put it like this, This is my endlessly recurrent temptation to go down to that sea. Here, he's using sea as a metaphor for God. To go down to that sea and there neither dive nor swim nor float, but only dabble and splash, careful not to get out of my depth and holding on to the lifeline which connects me with my things temporal or or tangible. Not get out of my depth, not be overwhelmed. Well, this morning, it is my prayer that we would feel out of our depth. This series is about beholding the glory of the Son of God. And when you try and comprehend comprehend the infinite, when you try and comprehend the eternal, the holy, holy, holy God, well, very quickly, you're going to feel out of your depth. But the more we behold him, the more joy the more comfort we will experience. Use this quote last week from John Owen. He put it like this, contemplating the glory of Christ will carry us cheerfully, comfortably. He he doesn't mean at that point, by the way, that easily. He means you will experience comfort. Someone will comfort you in your troubles, okay? Contemplating the glory of Christ will carry us cheerfully, comfortably, and victoriously through life and death. So yes, we want to be out of our depth, that we might know that joy, that comfort, and that victory. Last week, in verses 1 to 2, we were given a glimpse into the very heart of reality itself. We were looking into the very heart of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word was God. And the word was with God. But now our gaze turns to the, the, away from the sun in eternity to the sun in creation. Think about that first point. And, and you're, it, it, this is, you know, going to be a little bit harder, a bit more stretching than perhaps normally we would do on a Sunday morning. First up, the sun is the creator of the world. Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So the eternal word is the one who brings about the creation of all things. But now maybe you're thinking, look, in Genesis 1, I I know Genesis 1, I know the account, I don't remember anybody mentioning the Son of God or the eternal word. What does John mean when he says that all things came about through the Son? 
Well, if you go back to Genesis 1, and you've got it in your handouts, and you read through with the lens of John 1, then you spot something. You realize that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all there. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God the Father initiates the creation of all things. Then verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God the Spirit is hovering, just waiting to animate everything, to breathe life into everything. And then the moment of creation comes, verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. There is the eternal word of God. And God said, let there be light. It is the word of God that creates all things. The eternal word is there creating all things. And so we can say that creation is an act of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All things are from the Father. They are through the Son. And they are by the Spirit. And this is important. This act of creation from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit, it is not an act of necessity, as if God needed to create. It's easy to think that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created everything because in some way they were lacking. The Father was getting tired of beholding and rejoicing in the Son through the Spirit. But that is not the case at all. Creation, the coming into being of all things, doesn't add to God in any way. God is no happier, no more fulfilled, no more knowledgeable, no wiser, no more powerful after he creates all things. In eternity past, the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is fully and maximally and perfectly alive. You cannot improve upon perfection. If God is perfect, then creating the world did not make him any more perfect. He already was perfect. And so rather, creation is the overflow of joy and life and truth and beauty that is the triune God. Let me put it bluntly. God does not need you or me or the cosmos He doesn't create the world for his benefit. No, he creates the world for our benefit. Creation is a gift. Do you remember last week we said, what does Jesus long for in John 17? What does he ask the Father for? Is that one day we would behold him in the glory that he has with the Father. The Son and the Father in this eternal, joyful relationship. That we would behold him there. Be with him there. That one day in a deeper way that we cannot understand or imagine, we would be caught up in the joy of the eternal trinity. That is why God made the world. That's why God made us. So that we could be caught up in the eternal joy of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Creation isn't a necessity. It is a gift. God doesn't create out of need, but he creates out of love. A gift from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And in creation, what makes this gift so wonderful is that we behold the Son. We can see the Son of God. He is revealed to us. Three things we're going to say 
about the Son in creation. He is the Lord of creation. So verse 3 again, through him all things were made. Everything exists, it exists because the Son made it. And that means something, doesn't it? It means that the Son, because he is the creator of everything, is the Lord of everything, it all belongs to him. He owns it. All of it is his. All things were made through him. He is Lord of creation. He sits in authority over all things. And so just like he has laid down laws of nature and physics, the laws that govern gravity and the movement of the planets, so Jesus, the Lord of creation, has laid down laws that govern our lives as well. He's given us bodies, and he is the one who gets to tell us how we use our bodies. All the relationships that he's woven into our lives, he determines the pattern of those relationships. He lays down the rules, the laws, the commands that govern those relationships. And the events of your life, he has the right, doesn't he, to decide whether you live to 50 or 100 whether you get the job of your childhood dreams and become a train driver, or whether you end up in in a job that just pays the bills, but brings little joy. Whether your life is more sorrow and hardship than it is ease and joy, he decides. And of course, we might want to ask him why. Why have you governed my life this way? Why have you ordained these circumstances for me? Of course we might want to ask him why. But before we ask him why, let us first acknowledge that he has the right. Through him all things were made. The Son is Lord of creation. He is Lord of my life. He is Lord of your life. Next, he is the author of creation. Listen to the beginning of verse 4. In him was life. And now I know it's only four words, but this is going to take some unpacking. What does John mean when he says life was in the eternal son? Well, one thing it means is this. The source of life, the origin of all life, is found in the eternal mind of the son, the eternal mind of God. In him was life. So it's it's like an author writing a book. The ideas, the words, before they end up on a page, they start in the mind of the author. You could say the story was in the author. Life was in him. So trees and, and mountains and stars, butterflies, gorillas only exist Because first and foremost, they existed in the eternal mind of the Son, the eternal mind of God. The Son is the author of creation. And every idea that is in his mind is original. You know, with an author, when they sit down to write a novel, none of their ideas are fully original. Some are more original than others. Some seem very unoriginal when you read them. 
But, but consciously or, or subconsciously, they can't help but borrow from what's happening around them, from other stories they've read, from their upbringing and their experiences. And that's fine. But when it comes to the eternal son, every thought that he has, every idea, it is fully original. Before he created the world, he didn't have the equivalent of a Pinterest ideas board. I don't even know what that is, but I think it exists. So I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm going out on a limb here. Last week, I used a sporting analogy. I thought I'd go for something that was you know, broader. He didn't have the equivalent of a Pinterest ideas board with designs and colors borrowed from other creators and their creations. Every idea, everything created has its origin uniquely in the mind of God. In him was life. And that means something amazing. If everything that exists has its origin uniquely in the mind of God, that they aren't shaped or influenced by any other being, by anything outside of him, then everything that exists must in some way reflect God. At least everything as it existed in its perfect state before the fall of creation. Put it this way, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. They declare the glory of God. So when we look up at a mighty mountain, a mountain that is unchanging and immovable, it reflects something of the being and nature of the God who imagined it and then created it. That he himself is unchanging and immovable. Or you look up into space and you see the stars, and, and to us they seem infinite. Astronomers have attempted to calculate whether there are more grains of sand on Earth or more stars in the universe. And their conclusion more stars, way more stars. In fact, with some fancy maths, or it might just be magic. I don't understand how these things work. They reckon for every grain of sand, there are 10,000 stars. Incredible, isn't it? And it's obvious when you think about it, there are stars that no human will ever see. And yet the Lord made them, maybe just made them for his own joy and pleasure. But here is the point. Those countless stars that seem infinite to us, that existed first in the mind of God, they reflect the being and nature of God. He is infinite, without limit, without constraints. And we could go on, couldn't we? A hen who protects her chicks is like Jesus who says in Luke 13 to his people, if only I could gather you under my wing, look at how the hen protects her chicks and see something of the heart of God. He is the author of creation, all of it. And therefore, all of creation reflects something of the sun. As you enjoy creation, enjoy its creator even more. And one final thing to say about the son of God from creation, he is the sustainer of creation. I just need to confess something here. I don't think sustainer is a word, at least my spell checker doesn't like it. But we're talking about creating things, so we can create new words. When we think of creation, we tend to think of it as a one-off act. All things were made through God the Son. And that's true. 
But the ongoing existence of everything is also entirely dependent upon the sun. All life continues to be in the sun. It continues to exist in the sun. Or as Hebrews 1 puts it, he upholds the universe or all things by the command of his word. He upholds all things now by the command of his word. If you are alive this morning, looking around the room, so that's true for about 90% of you. If you are alive this morning, you owe your existence to the Son of God. He upholds you even now by the command of his word. Do you see what that means? If he didn't consider you, even for a moment, if he didn't hold you in his mind, if he didn't speak you into being and continue to speak your existence, you would cease. And there would be no trace of you having ever existed. Laura once um, wrote a, a short novel. It's a very Laura thing to have done. And I was, uh, I was desperate to be in it. Um, but I didn't think my, my, my shallow personality didn't really fit with any of her characters. And in the end, I said, well, what about the bartender? There was a bartender in there. I could be the bartender. She'd never let me read it, so I don't know if I ever made it in as the bartender. But imagine, imagine she wrote in this, this novel that the bartender character serves a couple of drinks, makes some small talks, shares some very witty anecdotes. But, but let's say for some reason she didn't like the character, this character based on me. Let's just say she didn't like this character and so she deletes the words from the page and she deletes the version from the computer and he's gone. No one would ever know that he existed. If Jesus stopped thinking about you, stopped speaking your life into existence, you would be gone and there would be no trace left. Each day give thanks to the sun because you live, because you are. All things were made through him. All life was in him. The eternal son is the creator of the earth. He is the Lord, the author, and the sustainer of all things. He is the creator of the earth. Secondly, he is the light of the world. Have a look at verse 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Just as there's one sun in the solar system that gives light to everything in our solar system, so Jesus Christ is the light of the entire universe, the one who brings life to all things, the one who blazes with truth and goodness. And that means all that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful, all that is life can trace its source back to the sun, the light of the world. But the light of the Son of God is not an uncontested light. Because the light shines in the darkness. There is opposition to the light, darkness. Now, there's some ambiguity in what John writes here. Because he says the darkness has not overcome it. 
The darkness hasn't defeated the light. But if you've got one of our church Bibles, you'll see there's a footnote next to the word overcome. And overcome, we're told, could also mean understood. The darkness hasn't understood the light. So which is it? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome or the darkness has not understood the light. Well, it's both, isn't it? The word for overcome is a bit like the word grasp. To grasp someone can mean to grab hold of them so you can defeat them. But also to grasp something can mean you understand it. You get what it means. And when John says the darkness has not overcome the light, he means both. The darkness hasn't defeated the light and the darkness has not understood the light. Let's think about those two things. First, the darkness hasn't understood the light. This is the great tragedy of life. Jesus stands before the world and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come to bring life and light, hope and joy, salvation and forgiveness. And the watching world doesn't understand. They remain in the dark. As John puts it in a couple of verses time, verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The true light stands in the world, the creator, the author, the giver of life, and the world doesn't recognize him. The darkness has not understood. And that lack of comprehension, that, that lack of understanding about who Jesus is, it isn't just ignorance. It, people don't understand only because someone hasn't told them. That, that's not the only reason they don't understand. It's not just ignorance. No, this lack of understanding is willful. It is a choice. People choose not to understand who the Son of God is because they don't want to believe in him. They prefer the darkness to the light. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 19, Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead because their deeds were evil. Sometimes in the evening before the kids are in bed, I need to head upstairs and, and put something in one of their rooms. But it's dark. And so as I walk in, I'll turn the light on. And boom, the mess. And I look at all the toys and the, the clothes that are strewn about. And I'm not sure our children even have that much stuff. I feel like they've imported this mess from somewhere else. Parents, if you get home and you'll find that your children's room is tidy, it's because our children have taken the mess out of that room and they've put it in their own room. But my instinct is to turn off the light and just walk out. I prefer the darkness at a moment like that. And tragically, it's true of our lives, isn't it? We would rather stay in the darkness. We don't want light shining upon our thoughts and our hearts and our words and our past. We don't want to be confronted with the mess of poisonous words and selfish motives and hateful thoughts. We prefer the darkness. We prefer not to recognize Jesus. 
The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And it might be that someone here this morning is feeling that way. At times, I think, whether you've been a Christian for a year or or, or 50 years, there are times when you will still feel this way. I don't want Jesus to be true. I don't want to come to the light because I can't face the reality of the darkness in my life. I don't want to have to acknowledge it. And all I can say is this, do not stay in the darkness. The light is shining, Jesus is there, and if we come to him, if we understand the offer of life and forgiveness, he will greet us not with condemnation, but with love and welcome and mercy and kindness. Whatever mess you think you have made, do not stay in the darkness. Come to Christ and find light and love and forgiveness. Do not stay in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't understood it. But then there is this other way. The darkness has failed to grasp the light. The darkness hasn't overcome it. When the Son of God took on flesh, he lived on this earth and his life was a life of brilliance. Out of him shone love and justice and truth and goodness, compassion and wisdom. He shined and he shined and the darkness hated him for it. All the powers of hell, all the powers of the world set themselves up against this one man, Jesus Christ. They threw everything they had at him. Temptation, deception, Betrayal, isolation, torture, rejection, hatred, contempt, pain, excruciating and agonizing pain, and then death. And the darkness must have thought they had won. When the Son of God breathed his last on the cross, In John 20, verse 1, we read, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, the light was gone. They must have thought they had won. But then you listen to the rest of John 20, verse 1. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. The stone was whirled away. Light was shining into the darkness. Or better still, light was shining out of the tomb into the darkness. You see, so powerful is Jesus, the light of the world, even when the darkness was at its most powerful and Jesus was at his weakest, the darkness couldn't win. The darkness has not overcome him. I've never seen a full eclipse of the sun. If you have, I've seen the odd partial eclipse when the moon covers a bit of the sun. And maybe things went a little grayer and a little darker around me, but then it could just have been a gray day in Britain. Very hard to have told the difference. But even if you experienced a fuller eclipse of the sun, it still doesn't go pitch black. Even if 99% of the sun is covered, the 1% of light that escapes from the sun, that 1%, is still 10,000 times more powerful than the light of the moon. Such 
is the power of the eternal Son of God, the light of the world, that even when he was at his weakest and the darkness was at its strongest, Jesus still overcame the darkness. He was able to break the bonds of death and shatter the power of Satan. It doesn't take much for the light of the world to keep the darkness at bay. And what is true cosmically and spiritually and in the world is true in your heart as well. At times it will feel as though darkness is very much in the ascendancy of your life. Temptations will come thick and fast. Old patterns of behavior and thoughts that you hoped had been dealt with come rushing back in again. And Satan will be whispering to you, sure, Jesus overcame the darkness, but you can't. At times you'll wake up and everything will feel pretty hopeless. Work seems impossible. Home life is miserable. Feels dark. Or, Or there'll be despair. Think, I can't undo the past. Can't change. That the wounds that people have inflicted upon me, they will never be healed. Or maybe worse, the wounds I've inflicted on others, they will never be healed. You feel hopeless. Despair sets in and Satan will be whispering in your ear, sure, Jesus overcame the darkness, but, but you can't. Do not believe it. Even if it feels like you are holding on to Jesus with a fingernail, a shaft of light the size of a fingernail is enough to overcome the darkness when that light is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the light of the world. Do not believe the whisperings of the devil. In Christ, you will overcome the darkness. And again, we understand what John Owen means, don't we? Contemplating the glory of Christ, the light of the world, will carry us cheerfully, comfortably, and victoriously through life and death. To behold the Lord Jesus Christ. To have your heart flooded with his majesty, his greatness, his goodness. Will bring cheer and comfort and ultimately victory as you go through life and death. A moment of quiet and I'm going to pray.